This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody. Thanks very much for joining me. This is something a little bit different from the show's perspective. Occasionally, I do this. Put a guest on the show who wouldn't ordinarily feature. But here we go. A conversation with the great Al Dimiola. How could I refuse an opportunity, an invitation to chat to one of the great modern guitar maestros. Now, throughout this conversation with the jazz fusion guitar legend, we talk about his remarkable career, his deep connection to the Beatles and his collaborations with many, including the great Baku Dalucia. This conversation was recorded in March of 2020, so it's a few years old now, but there's plenty of gold throughout the conversation that I think old and new fans and people who are yet to get to know Al will appreciate. So here he is, Al Dimiola. I want to congratulate you uh, on, look, on, a, on a truly sterling career and indeed for crafting uh, the stunning interpretations of Beatles classics that you've done on across the universe. So I've had a lot of listeners oh, to it, I must be said. You know? and, and look, from my own perspective, the album is truly a meeting of the minds, meaning that fans have now got an opportunity to dive into your interpretation of well-known and indeed some not-so-well-known Beatles songs, which I really liked, actually. Oh, you think you picked some left-of-field ones there, but, you know, the, the inspiration is obviously evident, but I guess the question is, why the Beatles? Oh, man. Uh, well, you know, I was that kid, you know, that, uh, that I guess, nine years old. My sister comes home with the record, uh, the first record, Meet the Beatles, and they were kind of the rage on the radio. So the combination of, you know, my sister bringing home the record, me hearing hearing it, and then Ed Sullivan's show uh, in New York mm. uh, on that Sunday when they and when the Beatles made their their uh, introduction to America, it was it was like uh, an amazing kind of thing because it, it you know motivated me to want to play the guitar. I would say. That was a large reason why, and uh, and you know those early songs were great. You know they just they were great then and they're great now. Mm-hmm. You know I listen to them now. I we you know this this radio station called Sirius XM satellite radio. Yep. And we listen to it every day when we're in the car. We listen. That's what we would go to the Beatles channel. You know. Wow. Okay. And yep. um, and 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 in doing these two records now, this being the second one. Um, you know, I, I kind of analyzed it from from you know a technical standpoint, looking at the harmonies and you know, and of course the melodies are infectious and they're in, they're deeply embedded in our heads and and, and hearts. Mm-hmm. But the the you know just checking out the you know what what it was harmonically and everything, and mm-hmm. it's just it's just mind blowing. It's just really really beautiful, well constructed music. They were lucky to have George Martin and, and Grace, uh, yeah, yeah. I you know, he was an amazing producer that introduced classical elements uh, in uh, instrumentation to to the to the to the music. They gave it a lot of depth, and uh, which it already had. It already had a lot of aesthetic to it. You know, mm-hmm. the sound of their voices and everything. So you know, the Beatles were highly inspirational to me uh, as. A lot of the English music was, but they they were they set the bar. 
everybody was trying to, yeah. you know, to make music, you know, that not to better them, but they were, you know, the Beatles were the, they set the benchmark, you know, and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and then when they went off on their, on their own solo thing, I definitely lost interest in their solo stuff, mm-hmm. which led me onto the path that brought me into, you know, uh, whatever prominence that I got because I went and went down the road of, you know, into jazz and jazz rock and fusion and everything. Mm-hmm. And those were the guys that, you know, I was listening to constantly when I was uh, a mid teenager to, you know, mm-hmm. right up to the point of when I got the gig with Chikoria in 19. Yes. Yeah. And then for just in the last 10 years, I've come like full circle back to being obsessed with the Beatles. It's interesting, isn't Which it? is a phenomenon. Yeah. yeah. It really is. It really is. Yeah. So so how did you go about reconstructing the songs in your own inimitable way? Because as soon as I played it, I could actually... I mean, your, your guitar playing is iconic, of course, but, I mean, you could absolutely tell it was you playing somebody else's music. So how did you go about the process of uh, choosing not so much the arrangements, but how you played the songs? Well, I try to incorporate what... what I'm kind of uh, known for doing, you know, which yeah. which, I, which I do a lot. Even if even if I was playing something from uh, you know Piazzolla or any kind of classical thing or, or my own music for that matter, is mm-hmm. uh, I as I I like taking the breaking down the harmonic chords into arpeggios and then syncopating them. Okay. Or changing the rhythm, or it could be a song that's in four four, and I say, you know what, this will be great in in a nice six eight feel, mm-hmm. you know, and and you know, I would have to do something like that in order for it to be interesting enough to me, mm-hmm. you know, if I were to play, let's say, Hey Jude, uh, the way Paul played it, it wouldn't work because first of all, Paul's not there to sing it. You have no no voice, no no lyrics, mm-hmm. and then and then if you just listen to Hey Jude, which by the way, I I, I think the Beatles did the Beatles best, you know. <laughs> There's no, there was no intent to make it better than the Beatles at all, mm-hmm. but but you know you you I'd have to do it differently in order for it to work. Because if I had played, let's say, the, the harmony. With, with the way he played on the piano, which is basically da, 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 hey, bang, 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 mm-hmm. on the piano. It's all quarter notes. And and if I had done that instrumentally, it would be really weird. It would be like, wow, he's just copying exactly what the Beatles are doing. You can't, you know, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Plenty of people are, are, have done that. Thousands of people have copied, mm-hmm. you know, and tried to do trying to do the Beatles as the Beatles, you know. But this you, is... You know, you chose... This some, is me doing my my own interpretation. Yeah. So uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm trying to copy them. Yeah, and, and it's they're much better for it. I mean, you've given new life to a lot of these songs, and dare I say it, you're going to introduce an aspect of a new audience to it too that might have ignored the Beatles. And, how, and what else I really enjoy what you've done here, some, when I say not so well-known songs. Of course, they're well-known, but from the Beatles' perspective, you know, you chose Your Mother Should Know, uh, Mother Nature's Son, and even Dear Prudence. So what was the inspiration behind choosing the songs? Was it just the ones that you felt you connected with the best, or was there another reason? 
Well, it was definitely a connection. Uh, there's plenty of songs that I that I wish I had more time to do. I mean, you know, maybe another forty of them. <laughs> you know, yeah. but yeah, I I found that uh, you know the way the way I approached uh, Dear Prudence, you know, it was hard, man. I mean, there was all big big skips, you know, in picking technique. So it was it was a challenge to play. Uh, but it was also, you know, it was the song. You could tell it's the song, which is good. You know, mm. so melodies were intact, but within the framework of some of these chord melody things that I was doing, yep. uh, it was less avant-garde than the first record that I had done <clears throat> because the melodies are intact. You know, it's what's, it's how you play around it, you know, harmonically and rhythmically that gives it its originality and, mm-hmm. and, and interpretation. Uh, Mother Nature's Son, well, that, that one was the hardest one I've ever practiced, mm-hmm. maybe of anything. Really? <laughs> it was really Jeez. hard, really difficult to do because it was chord melody. And, and, to, and to shift the chords with the melody and have the melody play in exactly the right places was 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 interesting. And then... Whatever little things that I did that were uh, original were, you know, like sometimes I would add add some runs in between. So I would extend a 4-4 bar into a 6-4, or, or in other words, a 4-4 with a 2-4 bar extension with a run in there. You know, and so I had to write all of this out, you know. Yeah. Uh, your Mother Should Know is, is, a, is a classic example of, you know, extending a composition like had they had they extended the composition instrumentally you know mm-hmm. uh, what would they have done from this point oh that's you know awesome what I mean? yeah I do know exactly what you're saying yeah yeah if you'd been from there in the point, room what would you have said if they were yeah. instrumental yeah. you know where would it go from here or where could it go from here so then then it, you know the ALD comes in you know hmm. uh, with, with all due respect to them because you know it's not a matter of doing it better than them. It's just, it's just, you know, bringing my world into their world. You know, yeah, as, yeah. Uh, with all with all the aesthetic that they have, uh, not minimizing it, and not and not doing it like a jazz guy, like like jazz guys have done Beatles because you know even jazz guys love the Beatles. But but I found that a lot of them have. Changed it so drastically, it's like you don't even recognize the song. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes you can't really alter the harmony so drastically because it's the beauty in, in the Beatles was was the simplicity simplicity of the of the harmony and not altering the chords so drastically. For you sure. know, yeah. now you can alter the rhythm, but but don't you can't really alter. The, the harmony too much because then it gets it gets to be too hard to listen to you know what I mean oh it does for, for something that's so iconic in, in particular because almost all of the Beatles songs especially if you're a fan of music you will have heard even if via osmosis if you know what I'm saying you walk into a, uh, a record store or a uh, guitar shop or what have you there's going to be a Beatles song playing almost certainly whilst you're in there that'll start ah, the Rolling Stones ah. and that's what I say Every day to somebody, <laughs> I say there isn't a day that goes by. This is like my famous phrase: that yeah. there isn't a day that goes by that we are not reminded or hear something or see something of the Beatles 
Not yes, a day. Exactly. Is that an amazing thing? I don't know how it is in Australia, but here, there isn't a day that goes by we're not reminded of something. You might, you might be driving somewhere and you might see something, a slogan or something from the Beatles or a commercial on TV or, or mm. something. There's Every always some reference. Hmm. Same here, mate. Yes. Yeah, exactly the same in Australia. Australia and the US aren't too different, and culturally, no. it's virtually the same. You know, them, or maybe not so much the Stones, but certainly the Beatles. The other one, big one here, is Pink Floyd. Even though they haven't played here in about forty years or whatever, it's been they're still a very popular band. But uh, but yeah, you you really yeah. are on point, and and you may you may have answered this question here, but I need to ask, okay, because everything comes across so seamless. Everything sounds as though it connects together so beautifully, but. Were there any challenges that you really had to focus on to overcome? Oh, with this with this record? Yes. Making the record? Oh God, yes. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, some of it was downright super hard, uh, like Mother Nature's Son. Hmm. I mean, you don't listen to it. I don't think you would necessarily listen to it and go, "Wow, that sounds really, really hard," or it was meant to sound hard or anything. But it was. To get it right. Hmm. To get it right was really, that one kicked my butt. Um, a bit, yeah. Strawberry Fields, I, I had to work on. If you notice, it's, it's not just the melody playing over chords, it's the melody within the chords. So, so you know, in an arpeggiated fashion. So I, there was a lot of work there, you know. Mm -hmm. I think I had to work harder on this than my own stuff, you know. This was hard, yeah. you know. Not everything, I mean, uh, the... Hey Jews, sort of not as hard, you know. But mm -hmm. uh, I almost had recorded Maxwell Silver Hammer, which was also a chord melody piece, and that was extremely difficult. But it didn't have, I didn't have time to get mm -hmm. it on the record. Uh, other ones that were uh, challenging, and your mother should know. Yep. Uh, Can hear that. You yeah. know, because if you because of that whole chord melody uh, thing with syncopation, so that that. That is a challenge at any time to do here, there, and everywhere. Brutal. Hmm. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I can hear yeah. that. Yeah, I can hear that. And uh, the other one, which I really love the way you close the album out too, because as I've mentioned, I've got kids and Octopus's Garden for them, and I guess for me too, is probably uh, my favourite cut on the album in many ways because I can see how much joy they get out of it. And you know what they've said to me, because I'm also a musician, they said, can you, can I do something similar? And I thought, oh, God, we'll, we'll try. <laughs> but to whom, does, <laughs> to whom does that beautiful little voice in the recording belong to? That's my little. Well, she was three at the year okay. at the at the time of uh, you know that happened. I think this was like a half a year ago, mm -hmm. and uh, that's my our daughter Ava. And uh, I'm it's it was I had like so much recording of it, and um, my engineer was paranoid of us using it because it had it had uh, the Ringo version in the background, so she was singing along with it. Okay. And he was paranoid that any of it would be heard because they would be pouncing on us in terms of legal. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I had to cover it up. I said, "But why do we have to cover it? It sounds so good, you know." <laughs> well, but we also had a lot of other uh, versions of it, you know, from that car ride that were. It was surprising how well a tune she was singing, but when she went off. <laughs> After the after the verse, mm -hmm. she was she was actually humming the guitar solo. Okay, yes, there you go. So it 
So there's a little bit of her humming the guitar solo. We only wanted to use, you know, a very short little clip at the end of the record. But she actually hums the guitar solo almost exactly in tune. And I said, man, this is too precious. You've got to leave this. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a wonderful memory for you both. Yeah, it's a, I mean, as I say, having kids, it's a wonderful memory for you both. And is, is that the first time she's appeared on a record with you? Oh, well, three years old? I would say it's the first time, yeah. There you go. <laughs> oh, <laughs> now, well, you're here. I, now I got to hear ins- another voice, uh, Dear Prudence, by the way. Oh, is that right? Now, okay, I'll check that it? out. No, I, I guess... Check it out at the you're right, beginning of the song and in the middle uh, is my my 22-year-old daughter, Valentina, mm-hmm. and myself. So we're singing that, that one of those phrases within the song that we put at the beginning and in the middle. Mm-hmm. You can hear us both. Yeah. Hey, I'll just do a time check because I actually wasn't given a, a, a length of time to chat to you for, but believe me, I can keep on talking. So if we've got more time, I'd love to ask you more uh, questions. Uh, if, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Look, I, I'm a long-time fan, as you can probably tell, of, of your work, and, and probably my favourite stuff that you've been a part of is the Tour de Force that you created alongside of John McLaughlin and, uh, of course, the musically immortal Paco de Lucia. Um, and, look, I, I consider your work and the work of John and also Paco to be up there alongside of John Coltrane, Miles Davis, Aretha Franklin, Ronnie Spector, all of the greats, in that if you class yourself as a genuine and excuse the language for a moment, no bullshit fan of music, you're drawn to it. No matter what genre you listen to, you'll eventually arrive at a recording that features yourself or Paco or John or Aretha. But my question for you is actually about your partnership with Paco because um, I've got to be frank here, Three of the greatest guitarists of all time sharing the stage can likely go awry, but it didn't. And the three albums are to be treasured, of course, I've got them. So Friday Night in San Francisco, Passion, Grace and Fire, and, and probably my favourite, the Guitar Trio from 1993. But when you, yeah. look, when you look back on your time with Paco, uh, what are your most prominent memories? Mm, well, I mean, the first, the first time him arriving in New York... Uh, uh, for my second solo album, Elegant Gypsy, hmm. is a standout because he came, came in hard, he hard, hardly spoke English. I mean, so little that he had an interpreter, a friend who was just doing all the interpreting. Okay. And he arrives, uh, he arrives, you know, the record company set it all up, you know, because uh, uh, if I backtrack a little bit, I, two years before that, when I was, we returned to Forever, and we, we came uh, to Spain. There was, there was just so much talk about this hot new flamenco player. So mm. I went to the local department store uh, called El Corte Inglés, which was, you know, their big department store in Madrid. And I was, they were, I went to the, you know, the the uh, record department, which was quite extensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, picked up a few of his records. Went back to the states, listened to them, and was knocked out. I, I, I never heard anything like that in terms of uh, originality in, in, in the idiom, but mm-hmm. also you know the technique was just staggering. So uh, yeah, I really I thought then how great it would be to do something, but it wasn't until my second album that uh, I brought it up to the product manager uh, at CBS Records. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the idea of doing a duet, if they can contact his record company, which they did. And luckily, I was I was hot enough at the time that that they thought it would be a great opportunity for Paco to get known in the states. Mm-hmm. And so he came over, um, and um, I remember he, we recorded it at J 
Jimi Hendrix studio, Electric Lady. Beautiful. And uh, he comes in, and he was nervous beyond belief, you know. And oh god, I didn't have a call coming in here. Okay. That's all right. If I got to let you go, mate, no worries at all. Oh, okay. Well, I wanted to finish the story, though. Oh no, I'd love to oh, hear no, the story. Back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. It's it stopped ringing now. Okay. So anyway, uh, he was so nervous that that we didn't really get anywhere. So his friend said, you know, he 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 really can't relax unless he has some, you know, pot. I said, well, luckily, I got, my, I got my friend here, and he's like the ultimate hippie, you know. <laughs> and he went out and got him some pot for the next day. He comes in feeling great, and that was the first take. And that's what we heard, Mediterranean Sundance. Uh, it's just a magic cut, you know. Mm. It's just It was one of those duets that, that you know, you, you, you feel like you, you got a magic a magic moment, you know, a real connection in dialogue and interplay, hmm. which rarely happens on that level. So then for, what was it, two, three, four years later, four years later, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, this impresario from London, Barry Marshall, calls me up with the idea of, of doing a guitar trio um, with Paco and Leo Kaki. He then changed he said, call me back. He said, well, what do you think of John McLaughlin? I said, I said, oh man, if you get John and, and, and Paco and myself together, that would, should be a smash. Mm. We went on to sell 7 million records. Yes, indeed. Yeah. yeah. It's essential, truly essential. I mean, I, uh, and, and I really like that you mentioned that, um, you know, was the effect that the three of you getting on stage, uh, producing the yeah. music that you've done, um, it's really going to be there for a very long time. I've made this point only with very few. I've done over 500 interviews at this point, and I've only made this and how point. How you correlate that to the Beatles now? You, see, you, could, yeah. you can use the, the, the analogy of the competition between John and Paul as writers. Hmm. It's very much, you know, you, could, you, can, you can use that as an analogy of, you know, what, what we went through on stage. We, we, would, we were also trying to impress one another, you know. So, you know, when John walked in with Strawberry Fields, Paul was like, what the hell? And so he went out and he, had, he said, man, I got to come up with something cool. So he came up with Penny Lane. But it really was because of situations like that. And we were the same. Like a guy would play a solo on stage. It was so good. And then it would be your turn to do a solo. And you'd have to just rise above it, you know. Mm. And the same with the writing. You know, we had the same kind of competitive spirit, you know, that was good. Mm. It, it, produced, it produced the level that we got to. It, it does, yeah. It produced excellence. And it's excellence. The, the point I was making was it's produced excellence that will be there for centuries. I mean, it's it truly is. I'm not overstating the case here. It's, it's music similar to Mozart, Beethoven, that people will be studying this stuff in two, three hundred years' time and working out the where's and why's. Oh. Wow, I never thought of that. I didn't think it would go that long, but that's yeah. great. Yeah, certainly my, my view on it anyway. It's so essential. I, I think. won't be around to know, but let's hope you're right. <laughs> I, guess, uh, I guess I should wrap it up, but I just want to ask one more question from you. Um, Australia, okay. I know you've been here a couple of times, but have you had a lot of interaction and a lot of connections from Australian fans over the years? Well, not as much as I would, would have hoped. You know, I, I, mm. I played with the guitar trio in Australia. I don't know if you know that. No, I, I didn't know that. Uh, there you go. Yeah, we played, we played uh, all the major cities. 
And I really haven't been back except for once. There was a promoter who had no experience at all and brought me back, I don't know, must have been 10 years ago. And uh, uh, they absolutely didn't know what they were doing. Hmm. And uh, we had we came there, I think we played two of the 10 shows and then left. Oh God, okay. You know, because it was, it was totally uh, done unprofessionally. And uh, and then of course no money, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. we had we had to leave, leave and go back. But we've certainly tried to come back many many times, and it was just you know we just need more promotion, and uh, mm. you know it's just hard hard to play there. I don't know why it's hard to get the right promoter to to sponsor. It. Yeah, we've just but had hopefully a- that happened. You know? I'm sorry that happened to you, mate. Because that's uh, a ten shows, mate. There's you know eight eight shows there that big fans of yours missed out on your on you on your wonderful skills and and seeing that. Because I, I do believe you need to be in the presence of the greats, such as yourself. Like you need to be able to go to uh, the Basilica in Rome or what have you, and you need to be in the presence mm. of this stuff here in order to absorb it on a cellular level. I like to say it, it right. changes. It really does change your life when you're in when you actually experience this sort of stuff. So. Make fingers crossed that we see you down here sometime soon. I really hope a promoter um, yeah. gets onto that. Well, introduce introduce yourself when uh, when I do. Just remember me. We do an interview. I'll remember you. Oh, thank you so much. No, it's, it's been wonderful. Look, it's it's really been a career highlight for me as an interviewer to have a chat to you. I'm a guitarist and a bassist, and My you're really, you know you're one of those guys. So thank you very much. Appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. You take care. Thank you. Bye now. Bye bye. Well, there you have it, a conversation with the great Al Dimiola. They don't come along very often, but occasionally, as you just heard, they do. Okay, so there are many more conversations from the world of hard rock, heavy metal, extreme metal and beyond. If you're new to the show, over at scarsandguitars.com. And if you like listening, you're an intelligent. You're an intelligent person, I can tell, because you're listening to the show, which also means you like reading. And you're in luck, I've written a book. Click on the link in the banner on the website and you'll be taken to a marketplace of your choice and you can download a sample. Yes, indeed. You can try before you buy. If you do complete the purchase, I'm easy to communicate with. Hit me up because I want to thank you in person. There's some more information to share with you about the book, but before we get to that, my name's Andrew Mackay-Smith and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast. Until next time, it's a very good bye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. 
Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the I, of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silenos from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, I, just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldina. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was, he was very, you know, very open-minded and, and he was into having his, his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for, for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five and Manson gave me that name and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.